morning, church. I'm going to be doing the reading today, um, and it is a whole chapter, so hang with me. If you have your Bibles present or near you, feel free to go ahead and grab them and follow along with me. Um, we're going to be in Jonah, the whole of chapter one. The Lord spoke his word to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach against it because I see the evil things they do. But Jonah got up to run away from the Lord by going to Tarshish. He went to the city of Joppa where he found a ship that was going to the city of Tarshish. Jonah paid for the trip and went aboard, planning to go to Tarshish to run away from the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, which made the sea so stormy that the ship was in danger of breaking apart. The sailors were afraid, and each man cried to his own God. They began throwing the cargo from the ship into the sea to make the ship lighter. But Jonah had gone down far inside the ship to lie down, and he fell fast asleep. The captain of the ship came and said, "'Why are you sleeping?' Get up and pray to your God. Maybe your God will pay attention to us and we won't die. Then the men said to each other, Let's throw lots to see who caused these troubles to happen to us. When they threw lots, the lot showed that the trouble had happened because of Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, who caused our trouble? What is your job? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? Then Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. The men were very afraid, and they asked Jonah, What terrible thing did you do? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had told them. Since the wind and the waves of the sea were becoming much stronger, they said to him, What should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Jonah said to them, Pick me up and throw me into the sea, and then it will calm down. I know it is my fault that this great storm has come on you. Instead, the men tried to row the ship back to the land, but they could not because the sea was becoming more stormy. So the men cried to the Lord, Lord, please don't let us die because of this man's life. Please don't think we are guilty of killing an innocent person. Lord, you have caused all this to happen. You wanted it this way. So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea became calm. Then they began to fear the Lord very much. They offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made promises to him. The Lord caused a big fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Thank you, Rachel. And it's so good to be with you all this morning. Um, I have the privilege of sharing with you over the next four weeks. And over these four weeks, we are going over one of what I think is one of the best books of the Bible. I mean, it has action, it has comedy, it has drama, and it's all squeezed into four short chapters. And if you haven't guessed yet by the poll question from this morning or the fact that Rachel just read the whole first chapter of it, we're going to be talking about Jonah. So uh, please keep Jonah open if you have your Bible up open already, because we will be referencing to different verses throughout the chapter as we talk about it. And when I say Jonah, 
Um, I am curious at what's the first thing that comes to your mind. I know from uh, the poll question, I, I get to create those questions each week. So I also get to see the responses as they come in. And I know a majority of you have read Jonah. So I am curious at what is the image that you first like picture when you hear Jonah? Is it a big fish? Is it a man running away from God? Is it a giant city called Nineveh? Because you see, Jonah is one of those stories that most people have heard. So even the few people that said they haven't read it, I, I, I would wager to guess that you might have at least have heard aspects of it, or you have a general idea of what happens in Jonah. And it's this familiarity that causes people to think Jonah is just like another story in the Bible, but it's, it's so much more. Through the next four weeks, one of the main things I want to show you is that Jonah is a mirror. And what I mean by that is that when we read Jonah and we look at it, we should see a reflection that we can compare ourselves to. And here's kind of the unique twist with Jonah is that you shouldn't look like Jonah. Like, uh, there's pretty much no point in the book of Jonah that you want to be like Jonah, ex except maybe chapter two. And the Bible is full of stories of people that like you would want to, you know, emulate, whether that be like Joseph, who goes from being a spoiled brat to being an example of how you can forgive anyone. Or even Paul himself goes from, uh, you know, hating Christians to being probably the most devoted Christian that we read about. But Jonah is not like that. Jonah, in a way, if I, if I could sum up Jonah in one way, it would be this. Jonah is a handbook on how not to be a Christian. And so this is one of the main reasons why I wanted to teach this, um, is because I feel like right now, especially because of the pandemic, it's easier to fall into some of these traps that can make you a modern day Jonah. And the other reason why I wanted to share Jonah is I think it's a great book about how just learning some skills on how to read the Bible. One of the reasons Jonah gets kind of downplayed as just a simple story is that often we just read it on kind of a surface level, uh, but there's so much more in there if we dig a little bit deeper. And that that's actually where I want to start today, talking about how to read Jonah. So hopefully you still have your Bible open and you have it open to chapter one. Uh, that first verse right there, right? It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. When you read the Bible, one of the best things you can do before reading a book is kind of figure out what kind of book you're reading. Because the Bible is like a library. It's full of other books. And just like a library, uh, there's different sections. And you wouldn't go into a library and expect that you know, you go up to maybe where there's like textbooks and pull one of those out and those to be written or read the same way as if you go over to the fiction section and pulling out a book. And so luckily for us, our Bibles automatically group the different books by what section they should fall into. And so we know from where Jonah's place that it is a prophetic book. And one of the other ways we know that it's one of the books of the prophet is just that opening verse. Because if you flip ahead to Micah, which is the next book after, or if you jump back to Obadiah right before it, I mean, if you jump to pretty much any other book that fits into the prophetic books, they all start pretty much that with that same first verse, that either the word of the Lord came, or this is the vision that this person had, or something like that. 
And so we can get an introduction of what type of book Jonah is supposed to be. But then we realize that there is something different about Jonah. And that's when we get to verse three and we see the word, but. Because if we go back to every other one of those prophetic books, you see that it starts off with the word of the Lord came to whoever. And then it's just, here's the word of the Lord. And it's usually written in like poetic language. It's, you know, it's Hebrew poetry. But that's not what we see here. We get, here's the word of the Lord shows up to Jonah, and we don't read what's the words of the Lord. We now are reading about Jonah. And so that should give us a hint that while it's a prophetic book, which means that it's trying to share a message with us, it's going to be sharing that message differently. Also, that it's not going to necessarily be about Nineveh, but it's going to be more about confronting Jonah than anything else. And so knowing that it's not written quite the same way, it's not going to be a book of poetry, we have to think, well, what kind of style is it written in? And being in the UK for now two years, I think it's written in a style that most of you should be familiar with, and that's satire, right? Uh, Jonah uses like exaggerated language. It uses over-the-top setups to really convey the points it's it's trying to make. And like all good satire, Jonah is more than just a person. He is a mirror for us to check ourselves against. And through the next four weeks, I want to point out three main points that I'm going to say a bunch of times uh, over the next four weeks. So I hope that you will remember it when I'm done teaching this. And that is that Jonah was out of touch with his surroundings. Jonah was out of touch with his message, but Jonah was in touch with his comfort. Once again, that was he was out of touch with his message out of touch with his surroundings, and in touch with his comfort. And the way these three things work is that we will see these throughout the book, and it'll show how Jonah does one of those three things, and then essentially the book is asking, are you like Jonah? Are you out of touch with your surroundings or your message, or are you just in touch with your comfort? So let's get back to those verses, especially verse 3, because when you get to verse 3 and you start reading that, you should be laughing. And I know that that is not usually what happens when people read Jonah and they get there and they're like, they're, they're not laughing when they read verse three. They're probably wondering what's going on. But this is a comedic scene because think about this. This is what should be in your head when you come to this is that this is a prophet. A prophet is like a big boy in the Old Testament. Like these guys would do anything for God. I mean, one of them is naked for three years. Uh, One of them lies on his side for 390 days. Uh, One of them goes and marries a prostitute and then names his kid No Mercy. Like, there's nothing too far for these guys. They're not afraid of anybody to share God's message. And yet, what do we see Jonah do? He runs away, right? You have this hero of the Old Testament running away from God. And not only is the fact that he runs something that should make you chuckle, but the fact of where he goes, because he goes to Tarshish. And Tarshish, one for one, is a fun thing to say or attempt to say in my case. But if you don't know, Tarshish is located on the southern coast of Spain, west of Gibraltar. Like at this time, it's literally the last stop that you could get to before you hit the Atlantic Ocean. And they didn't know that the best country in the world was waiting for them on the other side of there. But have you ever tried to avoid something so much that you would be willing to go to the other side of the world 
because that's what Jonah did. And not only does him being a prophet should make you chuckle, not only does his extreme action of going halfway across the world, or at least attempting to, to escape from God, but his son, I mean, not his son, his name should make you laugh, because he is Jonah, son of Amittai, which literally means dove, son of faithfulness, right? When you read that at the beginning, you should be thinking, oh, this guy's really cool, because in the Old Testament, names are really important. Names describe the character of the person that you're reading about. So when you hear dove, son of faithfulness, you should be like, oh, this guy must bring peace. He must be super faithful and obedient to God. And what does he do right away? He runs away. So the son of faithfulness just gets thrown out the window. And as we're going to read, he doesn't really bring peace anywhere he goes. Like he is set up to be the opposite of what he should be. And so the question, of course, at this point should be, well, why did Jonah run away? Well, there is some people, um, and this is totally like, I could understand why people think that maybe he's just scared because he's told to go to Nineveh. And if you don't know, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria and the Assyrians, when you think of the Assyrians, you should just think, oh, they're the Nazis because they are just the worst. In fact, if you go, well, you can't go right now, but once the pandemic's over and this is opened up again, if you go into London and you go to the British Museum, there's a really cool exhibit there where they have these stone reliefs from the actual wall of the palace in Nineveh. And when you go there and you look at these reliefs from the walls from the palace in Nineveh, one of them depicts the uh, battle where Nineveh conquered the Judah, the town in Judah called Lachish. And it's actually talked about in 2 Chronicles 32. And if you go there and you're looking at this story, or, well, these pictures depicting this story, you'll notice that, yes, there's archers and there's people storming a town and all that stuff you would figure. But there's some other interesting bits that highlight how, what the Assyrians valued. Like, for example, you'll notice that there's a guy that's getting rewarded for the many decapitated heads he's bringing the person. Or if you look closely, you'll notice that there's a guy getting skinned alive outside of the city as an example to those inside the city. You know, fun, family-friendly things that you find at museums. So it would be understandable that Jonah was scared, but, and spoiler warning, that's not why he ran away. If we jump ahead to chapter 4, we see that it's not that he was afraid of the Assyrians, it's that he hated the Assyrians. In fact, he hated the Assyrians so much that he was willing to run away because he didn't want them to even have a chance at salvation. And can you imagine that? Can you imagine hating somebody or hating a people so much that you would do that you would literally go to the other side of the world to try to avoid helping them? And that might seem seem extreme, but how about this thought? Is there somebody that you just can't forgive? And with that thought, let's continue on to chapter one. The next section we see is uh, he gets on the boat and the storm shows up and the sailors are freaking out and Jonah falls asleep. And the first main point, like I said, that I wanted to share with you is that Jonah was out of touch with his surroundings. And what I mean by that is that he was so focused on himself that he was unaware of what was going on around him. Because remember, this is a prophet of God. He knows God intimately, like he, God speaks to him, and yet he thinks that he can run away from God. 
And it's only because he's so focused on what he wants that he forgets how powerful God is. There's this book of poetry called You, Jonah, um, and it's just full of these short poems that are written by either Jonah's perspective or God's perspective on different, par- on different parts of the story. And on this particular instance of Jonah running away, it has a very, very short poem. It's only one sentence, and it says this. Where shall I flee from thy presence presents no problem when one ignores who owns the, so- the sea and the sky. Jonah is so focused on how he doesn't want to go to Nineveh that he ignores the fact that there's a storm outside. And this isn't any normal storm. This isn't a naturally big storm. This is a storm that's so big that in the ESV, when it's describing this, it says that the boat threatened to break up. And the reason why the ESV uses the word threatened to break up is because in the Hebrew, it's literally saying that the boat like came alive and was telling the sailors it didn't want to be a boat anymore because that's how bad the storm was. Like, this is a really bad storm. And where is Jonah during this storm that's so bad that's causing a ship to literally talk to the people that sail it? Well, he's asleep. And now, I used to be somebody who could fall asleep anywhere. Um, There was a time in uni where uh, the dorm that I stayed at was just infamous for people burning popcorn and setting off the fire alarm. Like, it, it happened probably once a week, the first year of my, the first semester of my first year. Um, and there was one time uh, that this happened. Now, normally when the fire alarm goes off, everybody has to leave the building until some, they can go in, check, turn off the fire alarm, etc. I apparently slept through it one time. Like, and this is, and it's not just impressive that I slept through the fire alarm. It's even more impressive in the fact that the fire alarm is so loud, you can't hear other people talking when it's going off. And the fire alarm in our room specifically was above my bed. So I was somehow so tired that I totally missed the fact that there was a fire alarm going off. And I remember being woken up by my roommate being like, did you just sleep through that? And I was like, sleep through what? And that's kind of what Jonah's doing, right? He's down in the, in the bottom of the ship and the captain comes to him and is like, what are you doing asleep? And what we can see here is that from what was this, how, how the sailors were described is that nobody else on the boat knows about God or follows God. Cause it says they were, they all cried out to their own gods, that they were all trying to, they were trying to reach many different gods and they were chucking cargo over the side of the boat, trying to save themselves. And so they asked Jonah, like what's going on? Because as you can see, they, they cast lots. They, they try to figure out what's, whose, whose fault it is. And it falls on Jonah. So they ask him what, What's going on? And what does he tell him? Well, he tells him, I'm a Hebrew who follows the God who created the land and the sea. And not only that, the sailors knew that he was running away from that very God. And what a joke is that is, right? Like, let's take a step back and look at this situation. I mean, first, you have a prophet of God who is supposed to speak for God, yet he's not speaking for God at all. It's literally nature has come in to speak what God wants. And it's not the prophet of God who's praying to God to figure out what's going on. It's these pagan sailors who are seeking and trying to figure out what's going on. And they know that this is unnatural and they're actually trying to figure out, okay, what God is, what God is angry at us. They, they're actually seeking the right, the right purpose. And when the prophet of God does finally get up and tells them who he is, he says that he's, 
he obviously must not really believe in his God because he says that his God created the land and the sea, yet he's on a boat trying to run away from him. When we get so focused on our situations, when we get out of touch of our surroundings, we lose all authority, all power, anything, any blessings we get from God, and we just become hypocrites. Because we are called to love our neighbors as we love ourselves, and yet how often is it that we see other people who aren't Christian doing more for other people? We have access to the true God, yet how often is it that we see people of other faiths being more faithful to seek their God? And we are called to be representatives, and yet have we ever been in a situation where your actions don't line up with how a Christian should live? Have you ever been a Jonah? So how easy it is to read this story and look down on Jonah, yet when we do, if we only read the story and just kind of chuckle at how bad Jonah is, we've become like the man in James who looks at himself in a mirror and walks away and forgets what he looks like. So let's keep going. So the sailors all know that it's Jonah's fault and that this storm is from God, who is the true God. And they ask a very natural question. What should we do? Now, like I said, there's consequences for when we become out of touch with our surroundings. But probably the biggest consequence is that we miss opportunities to point people to God. In fact, I, I didn't know what Joel was going to share during the tithing section, but when he started talking about how members are people who point people towards Jesus, like that totally lines up because that's not what Jonah was doing. Jonah had such a great opportunity to tell these people about the true God. Like they were there. They, they agreed with him. They said, okay, your God is the true God. Tell us what to do. Like they were just ready to hear the truth. And yet that's not what Jonah does. He doesn't care that there's unsaved souls around him. He only cares about himself. Have you ever not shared with somebody because you cared more about your own comfort than the other person? And so what does Jonah do? Well, he doesn't tell them what he, he tells them basically to kill him. He says, throw me overboard. And I have heard people kind of look at this as, oh, this is so selfless of Jonah that he's willing to sacrifice himself for these other people. But this isn't selfless. This is a selfish act. Because think about this. Jonah knows the only reason why there's a storm there is because he's running away from Nineveh. He knows that if he was like, well, turn the boat around, bring me back, I'll head to Nineveh and the storm will go away, that that's what would have happened. In fact, probably if they turned the boat around and did what he said, God would probably like, cause an unnatural like wind to push the boat extra fast to get him back to land so that he could go do what he was supposed to do. But he doesn't do that. He comes up with a plan B. If running away from God isn't going to work, he's just going to get killed. Because if he's dead, he can't go to Nineveh. And notice that during this whole thing, what the sailors do when he tells them to do this is that they don't do it right away, right? These are sailors that don't know this person right? They don't, this is the first, they only know Jonah because he paid them some money so that he could ride on their boat. They have no reason to try to protect this guy. The selfish act, the thing that you think that they would do because you think that they would just care about saving themselves would be, well, he told us to throw him overboard. Let's grab him and throw him overboard. 
But he doesn't do that. They don't do that. They try their best to save him. In fact, they're acting more righteously than Jonah does at all during this first chapter. And so Jonah, I mean, eventually they, they do listen to Jonah because this, they, even though they try to fight it, the storm's not going away. And notice that before they throw him overboard, that they actually pray to God to ask for forgiveness. And notice also, Jonah has never prayed once during this whole situation. Jonah didn't ask God, hey, God, what do they need to do to cause the storm to stop? Jonah doesn't help them like learn how to pray to this to the God that they're praying to. They're left up to their own devices to try to figure out how to talk to God, and they're just hoping that this God will forgive them. And so they throw him overboard. And notice also the response from the sailors from this is that the storm goes away and they fear God. And it, not only do they fear God, but it says that they make sacrifices to him. And remember, they're on a boat that they just threw all the cargo overboard. So they don't have anything to make sacrifices with. What this is saying is that they must have turned around, gone back to Israel, and made sacrifices to Yahweh at a proper place, and learned about God at a proper place. At a proper place. And of course, Jonah's plan to escape doesn't really work out, because as we see from the last verse of the chapter, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So what? So why talk about Jonah? Why talk about all of this stuff? Well, during this pandemic, it can be so easy to become out of touch with our surroundings. Right? I know most of us, I know I have, have found ourselves in the same house for several months now. And you're only going out when you go get groceries or maybe to go on a walk. I mean, and now you can't really, like, you can walk with one other person or whatever. Like, it's, you're, it's really easy just to be, like, so focused on your own situation. And when you do that, you become out of touch of your surroundings. And when church is no longer required for us to physically go to, how easy is it just to miss it? And when we can't meet with other people, how easy is it just to not call somebody or spend any time with fellowshipping with somebody else how easy is it to become like jonah and that is the challenge we face when we read this book this book should make us laugh and then make us somber when we realize that what we're laughing at is what we are and i leave you with this challenge to be in touch with your surroundings this week spend some time being aware of the other people call somebody talk to your neighbor say hi like, don't be so focused on being stuck at home that you forget that there's other people in the world. Is there someone this week that you could lead towards God? Or as Joel, point, as Joel put it, point to Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are a powerful God who speaks to us in many ways. God, when you declare something will happen, you make it happen no matter what we try to do. And God, I pray that we would be a people that would be not out of touch with our surroundings, but aware of what's going on around us. That we wouldn't miss opportunities to point people towards you because we are so caught up with our own comfort or sometimes caught up with 
what's happening to us that we don't realize that there's just opportunities all around us. God, let us be a people that shine brightly in darkness, not just go along with it. Let us not be a people who hide in the world, but we're like a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Thank you so much that you are patient with us, that you love us, that you're willing to allow us, uh, us humans who mess up all the time to be a part of your plan. We love you, God, and we're so thankful for all you've done and all you will do. In your name, amen.